Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Sophist, the podcast where we take you through the major news and topics facing importers and manufacturers in China and Asia today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of China Manufacturing Decoded, our podcast that comes out every week. And this week is a treat. I'm joined by Marshall Tatlitz, who used to to be in Shenzhen, and we, we met uh, quite a few times there. He was in Shoko, and uh, when I was living in more in in, in the Fujian area, for, for people who know Shenzhen, he, he's he's been involved in the, the broader uh, ecosystem, and we, we're going to talk about that. Uh, and he's he's in the US. Maybe Marshall, do you want to? Do a, a self intro. Maybe you you can talk about that a little bit better than I do. Sure. Thank you, Renaud, for having me on your program. First of all, and、uh, it's a shame we don't get to see each other as much,、uh, but、uh, <laughs> that's how it is these days.、Um, but yes, I, I lived in Shenzhen for I think it's seventeen years, and、um, you know during that time I did a variety of things. But the main thing was、uh, we built an e-commerce、um, company,、uh, mainly selling on Amazon, but also on Walmart and. And、um, and Wayfair and a, and a bunch of others, and、uh, mm-hmm. so I've I've experienced the Amazon selling side for a number of years, and then、uh, when COVID hit, we came to the U.S. and、uh, started this、uh, warehouse, ship it done, essentially fulfilling for、uh, other e-commerce sellers. And so, yeah, I've seen you know a lot of what goes on on the manufacturing side over the last twenty years, and I've also seen. What's been happening over the last two and a half years or so,、uh, physically in the U.S.、Uh, in terms of all the logistics and what people are trying to do here, so that's mainly my background. Cool, yeah.、Um, and so your business is ship it done. So it's it's really all about、uh, logistics now. You you're much more involved in logistics for f- fulfillment, whereas before you were more involved in actually doing e-commerce, the buying and selling and the marketing and all these things around that. Exactly. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. okay. And、uh, ship it done was started essentially because、uh, there really aren't a lot of warehouses that can properly do you know bulk in and out of pallets and containers as well、mm-hmm. as you know all the way down to the ASIN labeling and you know repackaging with Amazon for all of their、mm-hmm. limitations and it's just a different process than most warehouses are used to、mm-hmm. and、um, a lot of the e-commerce、uh, specific warehouses are very small. And so、uh, they're fantastic,、mm. but you know, it's hard to scale. So、uh, mm. we set ourselves up in Pennsylvania, which, for those who are familiar with the U.S. or, or not, but it's basically a four-hour drive from、uh, a few cities: New York、uh, states, sorry, New York, New Jersey,、uh, Delaware, Baltimore,、mm. uh, Maryland. So it's a, kind of like a central location、uh, that we set up in on the East Coast.、Um, mm-hmm. Basically, that's because where I grew up, not because it's necessarily better for Amazon sellers,、uh, but.、Uh, Well, is it still true? Is it still true that two thirds of the American population lives east of Mississippi?、That's、I believe that's true. I mean, you know, the country started in the in the east side and and then kind of、right. you know migrated west over time. So I I can't guarantee that, but it makes a lot of sense. And、um, right, right. Uh, you know, we definitely notice when our customers、uh, FBM and other、uh, fulfillment where we're not just sending to FBA, but where we're actually doing the fulfillment ourselves. It does seem like、uh, a lot of the business is going to the East Coast、uh, or、right. in the Midwest. You get a lot of California and Texas, but other than that, it seems to be East、right. Coast, down to Florida, and through the Midwest. 
Yeah, not that many people in Wyoming or North Dakota or something. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Um, <laughs> so since you, you, you've been very closely involved with e-commerce, um, and I'll get to the, the general situation about shipping and things like that just a little bit later in the episode. But um, my first question, because I'm really curious, we read, you know, why is there such, you know, a huge logjam? And, you know, why is why are logistics such a mess these days? And one of the explanations that people say, people give is there's more stuff because, you know, people could not go to um, to their Starbucks or to restaurants or to cinema and so on. So they, you know, they had nothing to do. They went on Amazon or, or wherever and they bought more stuff, you know, more home office, gym, um, you know, outdoor products, entertainment products, whatever. Uh, and that represented a very high volume to ship. Is that correct? Have you seen that? I personally think that that's a, a little bit of a simplistic view. Um, yes, it's true that uh, when COVID started and people got locked in their house, they com- consumed a lot less services. And uh, at that time, the government was also giving uh, various stimulus uh, stimulus checks. And so, you know, one could argue that people bought more stuff. And I think that there's an element of that. But I think what happened behind that is that when COVID hit, the entire supply chain kind of just stopped. And so whatever was in stock in our just-in-time system, you know, that we've had in our country since the 80s, since, you know, copying Japan, how they invented that, um, you know, it was just real quick before the inventories dried up. And then the companies just started ordering as much as they could because they realized that uh, the demand is still there, if not growing, at least stable. And uh, by that time, they were behind the curveball on the inventory. Everybody's overordering. There's all sorts of shortages. China shut down you know, their side uh, at the port a few times. Um, but I really do believe the fundamental problems are uh, the logistics costs related to the U.S. port system and the internal mm-hmm. logistics system. Yeah, we'll get to that, yes. So... What you're saying is it's a little bit of a bullwhip effect. So you have some variations coming from the the buying countries, and oh, they run out of stock. Then they order much more, and then you know after after a um, like uh, you know it's like a wave, and then these variations actually get amplified by the the time to restock, and it just drove the whole systems to the ground, right? That, that's a little bit of what you're saying. That, that's exactly right. And I would add on top of it that as now customers, uh, not my customers, but uh, companies that are purchasing product from overseas, everybody now is trying to move away from just in time and actually have stock. So you're not mm-hmm. only getting the bullwhip effect of the demand compared to the mm-hmm. supply at that moment, but now you've got a permanent, uh, I don't know how permanent, but but you've got a long road ahead where all the companies want to create an inventory stock and move away from this just in time. So, so is that higher demand? Well, not really. It just means that <laughs> companies are going to be putting more in, in warehouses, which is you know, a good thing overall. But again, it, it, it drastically increases the amount of volume having to go through the system without much really in the way of the end customer necessarily mm. buying more right now. Right, right. That makes sense. I mean, People say just in time, but it's 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 a joke. Um, when people refer to you know Toyota or Honda or these these companies, because these companies do just in time, but you know when when they make cars, but first their their key suppliers 
set up their own factories next to the the, the automotive assembly factory. So <laughs> it's like you know um, they load it in a truck and they uh, and they deliver it five minutes or ten minutes later. <laughs> so it's much easier. Uh, and then um, you, you you have some suppliers even a little bit further away. Uh, they might deliver just in time, but you know they're not like an ocean away. They don't do just in time with things, the sources that are an ocean away. And but the parts, who, but the parts yeah. that they're using, even though they're nearby, mm-hmm. are coming from far away. So, like uh, for example, uh, when we were selling uh, on Amazon and e-commerce, mm-hmm. we would have a container arrive that we would pretty much have it, you know, get processed and sent into FBA right away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of had a, 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 let's say, call it a container a month, right? But we never really wanted to have a lot of stock in the US, right? But now everybody's right. saying, oh, my God, you know, we're missing Christmas, Chinese New Year's coming up, you know, the, the, the supply chain's unstable. Why don't we just send an extra container, you know, so that it's there? Right. And right. uh, just in case, and not just that. in time. It's just in case, exactly. Just in time to yeah. just in case. And so when you multiply that across the entire economy, it it does give the appearance of of more demand. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, uh, good for businesses like yours, I guess. <laughs> uh, need more. Sometimes and, I wish we were on the, on the West Coast uh, to benefit more from it. But uh, but yeah, right. I mean, overall, uh, you know, warehousing and logistics, if and especially people uh, not to toot my horn or anything but you know a lot of people here in the u.s they they just don't know you know the details of manufacturing what it takes to manufacture things and acquire the raw materials and do the logistics and do the importing and do the routing and you know pallets and this and that and so you know whereas in china there's like everyone understands all of this and so you could get back on your feet so easily but you know Mm -hmm. a lot of people here they've never dealt with a situation like this you know the last uh, real real supply chain problem in the u.s was the oil embargo which was in the 1970s which i heard about from my parents you know i wasn't even alive Mm -hmm. for it so you know all the people who are in their 20s and 30s and even uh 40s you know uh, that are in the power in these companies doing the buying decisions Mm -hmm. doing the doing the the you know the modeling of of what should happen um, you know, there are, everybody's trying their best, but uh, it's really not the same level of knowledge that we're used to seeing in Asia, uh, you know, in terms of the knowledge of what the end-to-end system looks like. Yeah, that's right. Yes. I mean, talking about inventory, there's also a, a lot of inventory held up in, uh, you know, in Shenzhen, Dongguan, and, you know, in close to Ningbo and so on, because all these containers that they're trying to book and they're waiting and they're waiting and sometimes they're waiting a couple of months or even longer, well, you know, they made the stuff and they keep making stuff. Their warehouses, you know, of the factories are full, full, full. And then they have to, often they have to find some external space to, to, to keep it somewhere. And of course, they're not very happy to pay for all these charges. Um, but that, that's, yeah, that's another knock-on effect. Not enough um, shipping capacity and there's, there's a big bottleneck before shipment. And plus another big bottleneck right after delivery in the U.S., right? So people, you know, look at it and there's some, there are some, um, some articles about that, you know. Uh, and basically what I understand, and they focus a lot on, on the West Coast, yeah, and especially on Los Angeles and, uh, you know, Long Beach. Um, basically what it looks like is that a lot of ships are waiting, even sometimes drifting uh, because they cannot put the containers down 
because the parking lot next to it is already full, full of containers because there's not enough rail capacity and not enough trucking capacity to get them away from the port infrastructure. Again, is this simplified? What, what, what's right? What's wrong here? Is right. That the so main problem? it is the main problem, but, but it's, um, it's like a bunch of systems working on their own that are bumping up into each other as opposed to mm-hmm. a smoothly oiled machine. And I'll just give you a few examples. Um, so in US, I'm sorry, in Europe and uh, Asia, the ports have been running 24 seven for years. Um, our ports uh, don't. They run, you know, right. what, Monday through Friday, you know, uh, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. or something like that, like very normal business hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, our politicians have tried to, you know, push it more in the 24-7 direction. But the truth is, it's, you know, it's all privately owned. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't, you know, making investments takes time. You can't make an investment and build capacity while you're in crisis. Um, it is union labor, which has its positives and negatives. But one of the negatives is it's not easy, you know, in terms of yeah. flexibility. You can't just you can't just create another shift, and you can't just you know tell uh, regular workers to work double shifts. It all has to go through you know unions and negotiation. Right. And um, because there's such backup at the ports, the trucking companies, which used to be able to get in and out in a uh, of a port in about an, you know an hour or two and be able to pull three or four containers in a day are now finding that uh, they can only pull one in a day and everything is slow and backed up because they're ready to pick up the truck and, 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 and it's not there yet, the container, mm-hmm. sorry. Um, and so you get into all these situations where everybody's kind of wasting their time. You know, there's, there's delivery slots at the ports, thousands of them going unused because the truckers, you know, are, are not getting there basically in time. Um, and the truckers themselves are saying, I can't survive, you know, uh, if I can only do one pull a day, you know, we're, we're, I'll feel, I'll starve. Right. And, uh, and a lot of the truckers are owner operated, which means that it's their truck and they work for themselves and, uh, they do routes based on whoever pays them to go and they get paid per load in general, but the, uh, dock workers, they get paid per hour. So you can imagine the truckers are pretty upset you know, mm. as the dock, dock workers are taking their time uh, because they're getting paid per hour and taking a lunch break. And the truckers are, you know, like uh, they only get this amount of, amount of money, period. Uh, mm. It's a flat rate. So there's a lot of problems there. And then um, additionally, the rail system is all backed up because a lot of people have been trying to get their product uh, from the West Coast once it gets out of the port mm. out to uh, warehouses in the Midwest or even the East Coast. Um, and, uh, that's not happening, you know, either because that's all backed up. I'm not as familiar as why the rails are backed up, probably just because they're, uh, overutilized compared to their capacity, but that I'm not an expert on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's all these things combined. It's not a functioning end to end system. It's all these pieces right. with their own interests, uh, hitting up against each other. Hmm. Yeah. And, and. I don't know, was it a couple of weeks back where we saw, yeah, President Biden is pushing them to operate 24 hours a day and and there's been a little bit of progress or is it still the way you described? I think it's the way it's. Yeah. I described it. I mean, uh, you know, the, the people in power right now, uh, and again, I don't want to get political, but I mean, just in terms of their experience, um, you know, uh, we've got... Uh, uh, 
you know, we just don't have people in the right positions that understand supply chain. Mm. And I'm not sure if it would have been any different, you know, under a previous president or a future president. <laughs> um, but what I do know is that, um, you know, for for all the good things that that people like Biden and 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 you know the Democrats can do, uh, one of the downsides is is that they typically come from an academic perspective and don't have as much mm. real world experience. Um, and uh, in particular, when you're trying to unlock an entire country's, you know, energy issues combined with supply chain issues, complete, combined right. with labor issues, you you really need more buy-in from the businesses because at the end of the day, it is a private economy for the most part. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's, it, Americans are interesting bunch. We're we're not good at at you know being commanded to do things, uh, and uh, especially when it seems to come from the outside. So I personally think that the you know, the, the ports and the truckers and everything kind of dismissed uh, what, what Biden is saying. And, mm-hmm. and not because they don't want to do it. It's just what can really be done. Again, it's separate companies, each with their own interests and, you know, labor yeah. unions and all these things. So it's, you just can't turn it on a dime. I, I don't, without trying to be a negative sounding, I, I don't see this getting fixed in the very near time. I mean, Christmas is coming up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that's, basically Chinese New Year for for America in terms of staffing. And uh, the staffing is already way down. I, I don't want to be a, you know, a, a downer, but I, I just don't, I can't put my finger on a, on a specific way that this can get resolved, you know, without it just kind of over time working itself out. Right, right, right. Well, talking about the future, I mean, then uh, February and actually starting end of January, you know, a lot of like pretty much all the factories in China will close and then it's Chinese New Year is not only in China. So it impacts a little bit of the rest of Southeast Asia. During that time, it's going to be virtually no production for for a couple of weeks. And then a lot of factories are going to be closed more like three, four weeks, really, or very, very slow or, you know, a couple of weeks, uh, you know, when they restart. So all of that to say, right before Chinese New Year, usually there's a big push to just finish that order and ship it out. Right. And not not keep working process, uh, you know, materials lying around. Just like try to push everything out so we can get the payments, and we're back on our feet when we come back, uh, as much as possible. But then there's going to be very little production, and let's say you know three weeks, four weeks, little to no production. Is that going to give a little bit of breathing air to the whole supply chain systems, you know, or? Or do you think that there's so much uh, of a jam uh, yeah. that it, it's not going to make much difference? I, I think you really hit it on the head, actually. And, um, you know, everyone here is talking about Christmas and Christmas and Christmas. Uh, nobody here has even mentioned Chinese New Year. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as you said, that is a time when production stops. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I really, really hope that the U.S. Uh, uses that time to to figure out how to clear, you know, just clear everything out. And because there's not going to be another time, <laughs> you know, like that's the time right. where they gotta, you know, get everything cleared out and wait for the next batches, which start, you know, a month or two after Chinese New Year. And uh, my personal hope is that that's exactly what they do is that they use that time to to clear it out. Yeah. Well, all right. So what, what if it doesn't really all get cleared out? Maybe this, you know, the, the amount of um, containers, you know, on the water, waiting to be uh, to be put on a truck or put a 
put on 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 the rails goes down but only by i don't know half or two thirds and then there's still still an enormous traffic jam and then china starts to 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 ship again this could last for another entire year right well this is the thing it's like um you know those shippers who have contracted long term rates are getting their product to market right i mean if you go to the stores the stores are full not completely full there are definitely noticeable uh, areas that are uh, are empty uh, but um in general you know nobody's been looking for anything here um but when i search on amazon i see a lot of products that are out of stock you know that that used to be in stock so i definitely think this is affecting the smaller um companies more who don't have contracted rates um of course the chip thing is is, is yeah, hurting sure. everybody you know, even the large companies but i mean in terms of just getting normal containers over mm-hmm. it just seems to be that the larger you are the better off you are which is unfortunate um mm-hmm. but uh but some companies like i read yesterday or two days ago in the paper that american eagle uh, which mm-hmm. is a pretty famous uh, uh clothing company here mm-hmm. uh they just bought a logistics company that owns uh that owns you know ships and trucks and and they're like you know they're just going to do it themselves basically right. um that is a huge change i mean everything for the last 20 30 years has been about focusing yes. on your competitive advantage outsourcing you know to companies who are who are uh, better than you you know and specialize in in these areas and and what more what more obvious thing than you know owning the brand developing you know your product and then outsourcing it for manufacturing and then outsourcing it for logistics it mm-hmm. it almost seems just blatantly obvious but now you know we're having some of these companies say no this isn't going to work and now they're going vertically integrated again right so you know on one hand that's a sign that maybe this is going to be going on for a long time uh mm-hmm. it may also be a sign that as the larger companies handle their own logistics maybe it'll be more of a regular market for small to medium sized businesses mm-hmm. um do you, you think know, but, so but again I mean, this all time well, i do think yeah. so to a certain extent because um as well there's only a few shipping companies you know it's it's mm-hmm. really consolidated over the years and that is also causing a problem and so i think there is a global movement including in the us where you know these the you know where entire huge markets are dominated by three or four players whether it's mm-hmm. the meat industry whether it's the uh, logistics industry the shipping you know it it's it's mm-hmm. i think it is going to go into another cycle of of uh you know decomposition and more competition but mm-hmm. it's going to take time i mean this is not like by next year i mean this is a a decade process you know oh yeah for sure i mean i look at yeah i think home depot started that right and then i think what is it walmart went that direction also and then uh, I forgot one or two others, um, and then, but but the problem is the bottleneck is still the same. The bottleneck is still how many containers are available, you know, uh, loading things, unloading things, getting the yeah. But the if you're smaller, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're smaller, you have more flexibility. You can, you know, if it's your own company with your own container, for example, you can say, okay, uh, just go up to Seattle and unload, or take a, Correct. you know, take a round yeah. trip, or. You know, this one's going to go to Florida just because that's right now where there's, you know, no congestion. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas these other uh, carriers like Maersk and whoever else, you know, they're more like airplanes. You know, these are the routes, <laughs> you know, which plane do you want to get on? Right. right. So oh, yeah. so I do think there's going to be more of that. Um, but how does that affect small to medium sized businesses? It's it's just going to be more pain for a little while. I was thinking also that I, I, I read somewhere that is it Coca-Cola or another company. They. Um, the certain things that they use to ship 
by containers, and then you need these specialized ships that are uh, all geared up for for a bunch of um, of these boxes, right? Uh, and they they use um, those other ships. I forget, you know, that ship lose lose merchandise basically. Yes, yes, um, that they use the ship colon and things. I've read that as well. Yeah, that is smart because that's really going around the the constraint and 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 because the the, the rates for non-container shipping is nowhere near container shipping is the, uh, these days. Um, so That's that right. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So one thing I didn't even know, uh, because growing up, you know, in the era of container shipping, it never even really occurred to me that that wasn't always a standard. But the more you read, it's like the entire concept of having containers and using container ships. It's not actually that, uh, you know, you know, that, it hasn't always been that way. And, you know, previously ships were like this, you know, where they're just open hull ships and you, you pour in yeah. what you want to ship and move it over. So it is a step backwards, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of productivity and cost, but at the end of the day, exactly what you said, they're breaking out of the construct of the system and, and finding, you know, alternatives around, exactly. um, you know, and which, which is, which is also helpful uh, because if you can, you know, then that takes pressure off of the, off of the main system. But yes. I always bring it back to small to medium sized business just because, you know, that's the world mm-hmm. that I come from. And, mm-hmm. you know, how do we get back on our feet as a collective we? Um, mm-hmm. And I and I think, you know, it, it you got to just stay out of the system as much as you can in terms of if you can if you can manufacture somewhere else, which is not easy. But, you know, if you can long term, if you can um you know, do more by air, if it's light, you know, if it's light, if it's worth it in the meantime. Uh, but, you know, it may just not be a great time to to launch a new product. You know, it just may be the time to just worry about, you know, your current products and keeping them in stock. Um, right. The other, unknown, the other unknown is, is the, um, is the cost of the, the actual shipping. Like right now it's not toward its peak, but I mean, it hit, it was like $40,000 or something to ship a container. And then, uh, you know, it used to be, uh, when I started like $1,500. Um, so how can you absorb those costs? Uh, you can't, right? So they either have to be temporary or, or everybody's got to start paying a lot more for everything. And yes. so, you know, so for people who, who, let's say you got into Amazon, for example, you know, right before COVID and you, you know, missed the first ship over. I mean, you're, you're in a, it's just a really tough spot to be in. Right. Mm. And totally bad luck. I mean, no, no, nobody did anything wrong. Yeah. Mm. Um, if you already have a good selling product, you know, you may be willing to pay more to keep it in stock. Uh, but you know, again, even with the way the port's working now, they're charging a hundred dollars a day and increasing fees. This just started two days uh, ago. So they're bringing in $500,000 a day from what I heard, mm. just in an extra fee that they just started um, so the ports, you know, really seem to be taking a hard line attitude toward this mm-hmm. and basically just saying, we believe you'll get the containers out if the price is high enough. And, <laughs> you know, the truckers are saying, well, it's not our stuff and it's not worth it for us to come. And the people are saying, I'll pay anything, just get it out. You know, it, it's yeah. very, it's very challenging. Yeah. Yes, not very nice. Yes. What about on the East Coast? Because you said you, you're in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, yes. in the northeast basically so let's say some of your customers they send like a wool batch to 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 over to you what port do you do you work with the most so the most is uh new york elizabeth but we mm-hmm. also work with uh, baltimore mm-hmm. and um yeah those are those are the main ones that people are using i would say new york mostly 
Right. And specifically in New Jersey, there's the Elizabeth port right next to New York. Okay. And, and how's it been going? Is it as congested as in LA? Um, is it much better? Well, it's definitely better, but it's not perfect. Um, mm. in, in general, the non-California ports are better. Um, you know, even the governor of Florida the other day said, please come here, you know, like we got a wide open <laughs> port. Um, because really, you know, usually the East Coast and the um, and, uh, and and the South of the U.S., you know, they usually bring in from from Mexico and South America, you know, whereas the West Coast is more yeah. for for China. So we yeah. do have a lot of capacity uh, that's not being used, and I would uh, say that New York is pretty full, but it's it's functioning fine. I mean, uh, mm. it, maybe it'll take two weeks, maybe three weeks, you know, from the time it lands to get to our warehouse which isn't terrible. I mean, it wasn't really mm -hmm. that much better, you know, uh, even when things were good, it maybe would be two weeks better, a week and a half. Oh, I so I would say yeah. it's still functioning. The biggest problem that we have now is because there's not a lot of truckers and not, not a lot of the chassis to pick up the containers out of the port. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is uh, we're about four hours away and a driver will not drive. They used to be able to, but now they oh. refuse to drive four hours with the container. So mm -hmm. if it's, um, if it's palletized, it's no problem because they just transload it at the port. They just take the containers, uh, you know, take the pallets off the container with a mm -hmm. forklift, put it directly onto a 45 uh, foot standard truck. Mm -hmm. And then they drive that up to us. And that's really no, not a problem. It's totally standard. But um, a lot of the ca customers, they want to uh, floor load their containers, mm -hmm. which of course makes sense because you want to yeah. get as much product in there as possible. But the problem then is that when it lands, now it has to be brought to a warehouse, you know, mm -hmm. to, to palletize it essentially. And now you're paying labor rates in the US right, to unload right. the container and palletize it. And then it still has to come to us before it goes out because those warehouses don't know e-commerce and can't do fulfillment because mm -hmm. they're just designed to process things coming out of the port. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get a lot of extra costs if you floor load. Um, yeah, right. Loose cartons, uh, you know, might, might cost you a lot of money. Yeah, you, so you really got to do the math. Um, uh, but that, but that's the situation. I mean, the, the East Coast is fine. I mean, we're we're humming along. It's it, but but the but if you have full containers floor loaded, uh, it's still challenging. Right, right, right. What about air cargo? Do you get a lot of products from you know by by air? And we are. How 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 is it working? Is it is it, it as functional as before? Fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. Um, mm. Uh, it's, it's great. I mean, a lot of our new customers, uh, they, uh, <laughs> we, unfortunately we get a lot of our customers now from, uh, customers that are on Amazon that need to do removal orders because their storage is too high and things like that. So we'll typically mm. get some like that. And then a lot of times they want to launch a new product, which they've already launched, but they do the Amazon rules. Now they had to take out some of their other product. because it's like a total amount that you're allowed to store not based on ASIN anymore. So they'll, they'll pull some out with a removal order. Then they'll air some of their new products to us, mm. you know, get it on Amazon, see if it's working. Sometimes right. they'll even just put it on as FBM uh, an, mm. until, uh, until the container arrives. But yeah, they're front loading it with, with air, which is, um, you know, which is something we were always doing in the, you know, years ago. But then as the companies kind of grew up, we, we just started shipping containers. It seems a little bit back to, you know, test it by air before you spend the money on the container. So just two things to, to make sure people understand. First, you said FBM means fulfillment by merchant, right? So it means 
you're not actually sending the, the, the products to the Amazon Fulfillment Center. You are just listing it, or the, the, your, your customers, right? The e-commerce brands are listing it on Amazon, but then a company like yours maybe fulfills the orders like out of your warehouse. Is that correct? That's, that's exactly right. So FBA is fulfilled by Amazon, which means we you know, wrap up a pallet of products, send it in for you, and then Amazon will send it out, fulfill it to the customer uh, on each order. Uh, with FBM, fulfilled by merchant, uh, basically, we just keep the products in our warehouse. So you have a lower storage costs. You don't have to pay for it to get to Amazon. If there's any issue, we can resolve it. You, know, it's, you don't have to do a removal order. So it gives people a lot more confidence. And it is true that the sales can be lower with FBM than FBA, but they're still pretty good. You know, uh, it, you know we have a lot of customers selling FBM now and, and they really like it because you know, they're not paying the holiday Amazon storage fees. They're not paying the cost to get into Amazon. They're not paying you know, any long-term storage fees. They're, they're just kind of you know, with their product. And, um, and a lot of the FBM customers that were selling well, now they just send you know, like a few cartons in to FBA at a time to help you know, the sales go up. But oh, their see. base is still the FBM. Yeah, I see what I mean. And then the second thing I wanted to just really clarify is you say that it often makes sense to front load a little bit uh, by air. So what you are saying is that when, um, and a lot of these products are, are, are for Amazons, right? So that comes from Amazon's rules that when you are listing a new product, um, Amazon only accepts, what is it? 200 product pieces or something like that, a low quantity. You cannot send like 2,000 pieces to Amazon's warehouse. They, right. they, they don't accept. So at first, um, they, they, they force you to send a little amount of product, see if it works. And then if it works, if it sells up very fast, then you're like, how do I uh, fulfill like the, the, you know, the, the demand now? Um, maybe you have 10,000 pieces, but they're in China, right? So the, how, is that correct? Th- that's correct. Um, uh, and it's a challenge. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's why I'm, I'm suggesting that if, if people, you know, send to a warehouse where it's cheap, essentially to keep it there and, uh, you know, then start fulfilling Amazon FBA while having the, the backup, in the, mm-hmm. in the, you know, in the, thir- in the 3PL warehouse. Um, and this is not always possible because, you know, a lot of the warehouses that are right at the ports, they're expensive because they mm-hmm. go by high volume, you know, just unloading containers and getting them out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, retail is still like 90% or something of all of U.S. Uh, e- economic activity. So as much as e-commerce is growing and it, it's growing, you know, very fast, but it's still only like 10% or something of the entire United States uh, retail industry. So, you know, you just don't have these warehouses that are focused on on helping in this way, which is kind of why you got to go further out uh, either where, you know, to the middle of Pennsylvania, where we are, or on the West coast, uh, you know, people have started to, to find warehouses in Nevada and Utah mm-hmm. down in Texas, right. You know, you seldom, you seldom keep your products, long-term storage in a warehouse in California. It's just too expensive. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing in, in New York. Yeah, mm-hmm. and- right. Right. Well, I, I just have two other quick questions on that topic and then we would be out of time basically, but Question number one, yeah, is uh, and that's from your your perspective because you, you're living that you're on the on the east coast. If I send a container 
from let's say from Shenzhen or from Shanghai to uh, to to New York New York port uh, New York Elizabeth versus in California Long Beach is it going to be how how, how much longer is it going to be another ten days or so. Uh... Not in counting port time, but it's basically two weeks to California from China, and it's basically four to five weeks to East Coast. So it's like double. Okay. Okay. okay got it. And the cost is about 20% more. 20% only. Okay. Yeah. Just the last thing I'm wondering is if you do fulfillment by merchant and you are right there in the East Coast where there's the highest density of, of population, I mean, a lot of the, the US population is there. When you ship products, it's not a flat rate to ship everywhere, right? If you ship to the next county, to the next zip code, it's much cheaper than sending all the way to uh, to San Diego. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. The further it goes, the the more it costs and the longer it takes. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the the ideal scenario is you've got a West Coast, you know, a warehouse and an East Coast warehouse, and mm-hmm. you know, you have an order system that's splitting the the orders. But you know, that complexity also breeds cost. So yes. Right. What I tell my customers is, look, if you're really big and you want to make the investment, that's great. But, mm. you know, you may just find that for where you are right now, picking one warehouse, whether it's ours or anybody else's, you know, and just kind of giving them as much volume as you can mm. in order to reduce the cost with them and reduce the shipping costs. Um, you know, that's probably the way to go. And yeah, it may cost six dollars to ship, you know, a, a product from our warehouse to somewhere in New Jersey, and it may cost $8 to uh, Florida, and it may cost $12 to California, but the blended is still nine or eight and a half, right? And so mm-hmm. if you just think of it like that, don't worry about each piece. But then as soon as you have enough volume and you have the data to support that, you know, 35% of your shipments are, are mm-hmm. coming from, you know, the West Coast and, yeah. you know, yeah. the extra cost of the postage is, is this, so now you have this number to play with, whether it's you're paying $20,000 too much per quarter or whatever number you come up with, and then just figure out, you know, what does it cost to now ship into two warehouses on the other side of the country, you know, to keep them stocked? What if one of them's out of stock, you know, all the things that come, you know, with running a warehouse and fulfilling. Um, I think when people run the numbers, they'll find that just play it safe and stay with one warehouse uh, in the beginning. Mm. Um, there are some services like Deliver, uh, D-E-L-I-V-R-R, which I'm not associated with, but mm. you know they try to replicate the Amazon FBA concept, but with external warehouses. Um, some people have said they're good. Uh, I've heard bad stories. I've heard they're expensive. I've heard that you know they're fine. So I, I don't have a personal opinion. I've never used them. But mm. um, basically what you're doing is similar to FBA. You're overpaying for everything so that it's the same price no matter what. And you just have to calculate whether that makes sense or not. Right, right. Well, that was a deep, deep, um, <laughs> deep focus on, on, on um, the economics of logistics in the US. That was really, uh, really interesting. We're, we're, we're pretty much out of time. So uh, thank you so much, Marshall. Just uh, uh, can you spell your, your website just in oh, case sure. people want to you know, get in touch with you or something. Thank you. And I appreciate it, Renata. And I'd, I'd love to come back another time as well. But uh, for all the listeners, uh, we are shipitdone.com, uh, S-H-I-P-I-T-D-O-N-E. And we're a 3PL warehouse handling Amazon and e-commerce fulfillment for all your other channels. 
Great. All right. Thanks a lot, Marshall. And Thank thanks to, to all the listeners. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.